Hey everyone, this is Jamie Bateman. Real quickly, I wanted to share with you something uh, that's been pivotal in the growth and success of my businesses, and that is my partnership with Haven Financial Services. Um, I've been working with Haven for over a year now. Christine Valdez was on episode 70 of this podcast. So go check that out if you want to hear her story. It was a fantastic personal story for sure. But Haven has been awesome. They provide me with monthly reports that are super clear and discernible. And it, that provides me with clarity and focus so that I can do what I do best, which is running my businesses, not preparing financial reports. Um, again, if you're in the market for a top-notch financial service company, uh, or if you just want to check one out, go to www.jamiebateman slash Haven and check out Haven Financial Services. Again, that's jamiebateman slash Haven. I uh, can't recommend them enough. Christine and her team have been fantastic. So I definitely recommend you check out Haven Financial Services at www.jamiebateman forward slash Haven. Let's get back to the show. You're going to love this episode. It's with Dave Van Horn of PPR Capital Management. Dave is the founder of the company, the executive chairman of the board. He has a lot of experience in different aspects of real estate and distressed note purchasing and management and also capital raising and just a lot of um, entrepreneurial ups and downs. And Dave's had a ton of success, uh, but it wasn't always easy, that's for sure. Um, we talk quite a bit in the beginning about Dave's uh, adversity that he faced with his uh, family life when he was a child and the divorce of his parents and the splitting of his family. Essentially, his siblings were, you know, half of the siblings went one way and half went the other and how many of his siblings didn't turn out so well as far as, um, you know, their success and, and health. Now they're all doing doing well and um, the siblings all get along. So in that sense, there was a lot of, it's perfect for the, for from adversity to abundance. Um, but we talk about how Dave was a, a, a painter, a real estate agent, a contractor, managed uh, a title, he ran a title company, loan originator. I think, you know, when it comes to residential real estate, there's not many, many aspects that Dave hasn't touched. And now they're in the commercial and multifamily space as well. PPR is a big company um, in, in this space, in the distressed note space. They raise a lot of capital and um, Dave's had a lot of success. I mean, he does humbly mention toward the end that um, if he were given $10 million today, it wouldn't, wouldn't really change his life. So that might give you some indication of the financial success Dave has had. He's a very humble, humble guy. You kind of gotta have to pull it out of him as far as um, the abundance and success that he's reached. But this is a very relatable uh, episode. Even if you, you may not reach the levels he reaches, uh, has reached, I should say, you know, we do talk about financial hardship as well as relationship hardship and even a, a health challenge that shut down, essentially shut down one of his businesses. Um, so buckle up. This is a really, really good one. Investors, have you ever felt frustrated by your loan servicer, experienced challenging communication, or the headache of tracking taxes and insurance? Meet BiFi, a loan servicing company founded by investors for investors. With an expert team and best-in-class vendors, BiFi will partner with you to service your loan from start to exit. Visit BiFiLS.com to see how you can get started today. That's B-I-F-I-L-S 
www.thefromadversity.com. Welcome to the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. Are you an entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneur? Then this show is for you. Each week, we bring you impactful stories of real people who have overcome painful human adversity to create a life of abundance. You are not alone in your struggle. Join us and you will experience the power of true stories and gain practical knowledge from founders who have turned poverty into prosperity and weakness into wealth. This podcast will encourage you through your health, relationship, and financial challenges so you can become the hero in your quest for freedom. Take ownership of the life you are destined to live. Turn your adversity into abundance. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Bateman. I'm thrilled today to have with us Dave Van Horn. Dave, how are you doing today? Unbelievable. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Um, we we uh, So Dave, Dave is the uh, the founder of PPR Capital Management and also the executive director, and we can get into that later. And I, for the listener out there, um, I have a lot of respect for Dave. I've followed Dave through the years and and um, certainly the five or six years that I've been in the note investing space, but even before that through bigger pockets and some other um, avenues. But uh, I, I know you, uh, you've had a lot of adversity and a lot of uh, abundance in your life, Dave, and we're going to, we're going to get into that. Um, so for the, for the listener out there, why don't you drill down a little bit more on some more context as far as who you are, and what you're up to today? Yeah, sure. Um, like I said, um, you mentioned I'm executive chairman of PPR. So, um, you know, I run the board and oversee the CEO. We have a new CEO of PPR up until recently though, I was president and CEO for the last several years, and we just celebrated 15 years of, of PPR. We were a PPR note company. Today, we're PPR Capital Management. So it's been a name shift and a brand shift, and uh, things are good. Um, so we're excited. Um, and we don't just do uh, notes and mortgages anymore. We also do uh, some commercial real estate as well. So uh, our funds, we have a fund that's a real estate-backed assets. Uh, it's a little more diversified than it was when we started out. So that's pretty much. And right. I came from the real estate world. Um, previous to that, I was a contractor. Um, over the years, I've done several things. I've had various licenses, you know, real estate license, insurance license, was a property manager, owned a title company for a while. So I've done a lot of different things over the years. Uh, but in recent years, was mostly a fund manager. And um Ran a company and scaled it and things like that. Yeah, so. yeah that's um, you know, you're you're, you're humble, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think you're selling the selling it short slightly. Um, and hopefully, I did say executive chairman, not executive director. But um, regardless, so so talk to the listener about kind of what's the a little bit more about the size of PPR or kind of some of the funds you've managed in recent years um, to give them a little bit more context. Um, sure. We, I'm trying to think how many funds have we had since the beginning? Um, nine or 10, I would guess I'd have to go look. We have a lot of entities. There's probably 50 entities, you know, um, we're not a super large shop personnel wise. We're around 30 people. 
Um, but we do have some JV partners that have sizable shops as well. So we, you know, we have a JV partner on the West Coast that has a significant number of people. Um, they also have a trade desk in New York. Um, and then we also have some other JV partners on the commercial real estate side. And some of their teams might be a dozen or 15 people, that kind of thing, uh, mm-hmm. with folks that we partner with. So we would probably have more employees, you know, if we did everything ourselves. We, you know, we may mm-hmm. have 150 employees at that point. But as far as assets under management, we're in the you know 700, 800 million range, um, and private equity wise, we're probably just under three hundred million uh, if private equity. But we, how do I say, we recycle a lot of that money, so it's a little bit different than you know if we were just say a commercial real estate shop where um, you know it's kind of like you put money to work and and you wait. You know we're we're constantly. Uh, probably on about 75% of our business, the money's moving, you know, rapidly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going out, it's coming back, it's going out, it's coming, that kind of thing, which is a little bit different than, you know, a typical real estate fund that's, sure. you know, more, you know, complacent or whatever. More static. Yeah. Yeah, more static. Um, gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. And I know, I remember But as when, far as uh, assets, um, yeah. that's a good question. Most of them are, today are in uh, Georgia and, um, you know, the... Like we have some multifamily, it's around a thousand units, it, okay. mostly in Georgia and Texas. You know, we're kind of newer to the space, um, mm-hmm. but loan wise, yes, definitely well over twelve thousand, probably since we started. Um, it's common for us to probably buy about three to four hundred million a year. Uh, we sell a lot of REOs, um, mm-hmm. probably several hundred REOs a year. Uh, just to give context. So, sure. and, and that's Absolutely. nationwide mostly, you know, to be honest. Uh, the commercial real estate's typically in the Sun Belt or high growth areas or maybe mm-hmm. a couple tertiary markets, but it's kind of where we're focused and yeah. um, it's more of a diversification type play. Yeah. And you, like you said, you moved into that a little bit more, more recently. Um, yeah. And that's one of the things I, re- I remember Chris Seventy and I had you on our Good Deeds podcast. Uh, few years ago. And and I remember that one of the big lessons I took from that was um, you said, uh, just tell me what the rules are and I'll figure out a way to win. So I remember kind of <laughs> what my biggest takeaway was flexibility and adding, um, you know, tools to your tool belt, if you will, um, uh, so that no matter what happens with the economy, no matter what happens with legislation, you can react and um, and still, still profit and still, um, you know, do good. Um, so hopefully we can dive into that in a little bit, but, um, sure. As far as adversity goes, let's jump into your backstory. I know before we hit record, we touched a little bit on a a couple of, of, uh, types of adversity that you've faced. Um, why don't you start, uh, start where you'd like to, as far as, you know, in your history and, and we'll pick it up from there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think everybody has some adversity, um, but then again, we—I'm kind of grateful for where I'm—I am too, you know. So I—I I feel blessed, and you know, things can always be worse, right? But Absolutely. I think we all go through adversity, and I think a lot of life is how we respond to things. Um, definitely, one of the biggest challenges for me, uh, especially growing up, was um, you know I was one of six kids, and uh, my dad left my mom when I was eight hmm. and, um, it, that was pretty traumatic. Um, so, you know, 
you notice like when you have, we were blue collar type family, but mm-hmm. when you take the breadwinner out of the picture, things go downhill very quickly. Sure. Um, and then also my family had gotten split in half. At, so I had three older sisters and two younger brothers and our family literally got chopped in half. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, eventually my sisters uh, went to live with my father, which at the time they probably thought it was a good idea, but it was really bad idea. Um, and then their lives were, you know, dramatically impacted. Um, you know, I had one sister that went to, uh, prison for, you know, sentenced to 15 years in prison. I had a sister that went to reform school had a sister that got, uh, you know, um, she was a mom very early, you know, those those kinds of impacts. Um, and my, you know, my one sister was, uh, you know, a heroin addict. So a lot of things were negative from that uh, yeah. divorce, so to speak. And, um, you know, I was fortunate um, to be on the right side of that. A couple of interesting things come out of that was um, not everybody fares the same way, you know, like, uh, you know, an impact of something like that, you know, to look at me probably on the surface, you're like, oh, you know, Dave has it halfway together. He's <laughs> right. fairly yeah. normal. Exactly. <laughs> he's <Yeah>. done okay <laughs> but not everybody came out of that okay is what you learn sure. you know not everybody responds the same way sure. um a couple weird things that happened one was um like me and my siblings we never fight you know how mm-hmm. you'll see cases where people will you know i w- haven't talked to my sister or something yeah yeah me and my siblings we literally there's no no there's no argument there's no mm-hmm. we because I think because we were separated, I which see. is a weird dynamic, right? When you think about it. So it's kind of interesting. Now, there yeah. was a time period where I hadn't spoken to my father in a good five-year period. Now, most people can't envision not speaking to their father for five years, right? Sure. Um, so, you know, later on, you know, I was able to actually reconcile with him and hmm. basically kind of forgive type situation before he passed. But it was... But the whole time as a kid, though, it was a different road, right? Because you're what I quickly realized, even at even in fourth grade, I had my first job. You know, it was it was you had to do it on your own. There was no there was no backstop. There was no safety mm-hmm. net. Now, it did give you trust issues, you know, like where mm-hmm. you were reluctant because if you can't trust your parent, who can you trust? Who can right? you trust? That's sure. kind of what Absolutely. that's kind of what ends up happening. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, um, you know, there's. Yeah, um, there's weird things that happen that you can't do that normal kids can do. Now, it's different when your parent, I think, passes away because it, it's that's like can't be helped kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it's just a different vibe. You know what I mean? Than it is in a case of, you know, you wonder, did your parent want you or not? You know, those kinds sure. of things, you know, and, and it's just a, it's a harder thing. Yeah. It but uh, that was probably the, the big one, you know, sure. the, that was early on that had an impact in everything from my education to my, you know, you had basically you had to bootstrap whatever you did, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so. Now I appreciate you sharing. Cause I, and again, I know, I know you've talked on lots of other podcasts about how to invest in notes and how to, you know, and, and your successes and things. And what we're trying to do is highlight, you know, some of the pain that people go through and, and, and to highlight the fact that you can get through it and you can, pull out lessons and not to say you're 
you'd like that, you know, if you had to do it over again, that you'd want that it to go that way. But um, sounds like you've developed at least a, a work ethic and a, and a good relationship with your siblings um, through, through that um, challenge. Yeah, no, we, it's great. And the other weird thing that happened, even though I was like a middle child, mm-hmm. I felt like the oldest of the family mm-hmm. I was in because of the way it was. And then mm-hmm. it, all of a sudden it was, it's almost like I played a bigger brother, father type role in a way. Mm-hmm. It kind of that probably wouldn't have happened if the family was all together. You know what I mean? It's sure. just like a, you know, yeah. looking back on it. So it did change some things. Um, sure. But yes, it. The good news is everybody's pretty good, and for the most part, um, today. Um, mm-hmm. And but not everybody fit, comes out of that unscathed. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I I did better than some of the other folks. That's really so, what it was. So why would you say that is? I mean, it, it, you know, I know there are factors beyond your control, but, uh, you know, looking looking back, why would you say you did better than than the others did? I mean, it's a good question. Um, well, uh, some some I think some people, you know, I don't want to sound bad against my siblings. Sure, I mean, sure, some sure. people have more of a blame or a victim yeah. type of mentality. Sure. Um, maybe I had less of that. Um, right. and then gotcha. I kind of, uh, figured it things were on my own. And then I had some, um, lucky things, you know, you make your own luck. Um, and I always worked really hard. Like my mom was a very good work ethic, uh, very mm-hmm. spiritual woman. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and we, no matter what our jobs were, we did our best, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of mentality. Sure. Um, we were always on time. Um, we could be poor, but we could be clean, you know, things like mm-hmm. that, uh, that are just ingrained in you and you, you were on, you know, you, you were honest and you had sure. integrity and things like that, yeah. even though you didn't have much. So those kinds of things carry forward a lot. And, uh, yeah. you know, things sense. just, you know, I, I did get fortunate. I, I was in, um, you know, I had really good grades. And, uh, when I was in eighth grade, my mom kind of conned me into taking an entrance exam to a private uh, school. And I, I go, mom, you know, we can't afford to go there, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, don't worry. Um, just see how you do. You won't get in. Don't worry. Just see how you do. <laughs> and you kind of know where that went. I ended up getting uh, a four-year academic scholarship and, and that dramatically changed the tra- trajectory of my life because sure. all of a sudden I was just surrounded by wealthy folks and yeah, uh, it was a very accelerated program and it got me out of my comfort zone. It was actually uh, in the next state over. It was, you know, out okay. of the neighborhood. It was out of the, you know, the normal yeah. school and sure. it, it dramatically changed things. Just that right. one scenario, you know? So. No, and I, and I personally, I don't believe in, self-made millionaires or you know because every ever we all have some kind of help along the way or some kind of luck you can sure. it's you know you can debate that all day long so maybe you got a lucky break there but at the same time you had really good grades so you wouldn't have gotten in had you not done the the work in front of you so you know i think there's a lesson yeah in that it was a combination well. i mean yeah for sure um and then, you know, once I got through there, then it was, all right, how do I get to college? Um, and I'm kind of embarrassed of this, but it, it took me five and a half years to get a four-year degree. Hmm. But I paid the first couple of years out of my pocket. You know, I went to a state college. I didn't, 
I actually had gotten into Drexel, but I couldn't afford to go to Drexel really. Mm. Um, I'm from the Philadelphia area. Mm-hmm. So I had gone to a state school in Pennsylvania, which was obviously last. And um, I had to take out some student loans to finish. Um, but I was trying to pay it as I went kind of thing, um, which looking back wasn't so bad, but mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't like I was, you know, some of the wealthier kids in school, obviously sure. they could study more, but they didn't have to work as much. I was actually working four days a week and going to college. <laughs> so it was wow. that that's one of the advantage that I think some like when I look at my kids and my grandkids, they're mm-hmm. pretty well off. They don't have that kind of <laughs> adversity, right? To where they, sure. you know, have to take out a lot of debt or they, they can't, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have to work and then wake up and go to school and try to study and cram. And, you know, life was much harder. I, in fact, I almost flunked out, which mm-hmm. it's kind of ironic now when you look back and you're like, um, you know, your report card, <laughs> your bank account when you get older, but <laughs> right. yeah, but you're, uh, but when you're young, you know, a lot is, meant you know what what's your uh you know what's your degree what's yeah, your your great education your, level what's your sure. that kind of thing yeah yeah looking back it's nobody nobody walks around and asks me what my gpa was right but um yeah no one asked me to see my report card or anything these <laughs> right. days um which is fine because yeah. i don't know that i care yeah so <laughs> no i think a lot a lot of what you've said already um a lot of people can can relate to um uh, d- definitely sounds like you've you've overcome a lot from your childhood and and you've touched on it i mean it's all about how you respond to adversity um so walk us through from you know from college yeah i know you have a a, a long a story as far as you know, all the businesses you've run and, and everything like that and, and startups and everything but um walk us through kind of from college through today highlighting more of the adversity that you've, you've come across? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I had met my wife when I was like 19, we've been married almost, almost 40 years. Um, but my, um, you know, my wife had gotten pregnant before I finished school. So I w- it was really tough getting done. Um, and then when I got done school, I could, I couldn't even afford an apartment. You know, I, um, I had a business degree, which technically were a dime a dozen at the time. <laughs> and, um, imagine going to college, taking out loans, working real hard, going for mm-hmm. five and a half years, you get done mm-hmm. and you can't get a job. And I was, um, yeah, imagine that. Right. Yeah. And then I was working in construction and I couldn't afford an apartment. So I had to move in with my mom. Um, and you know, we were splitting the bills and, um, you know, it was really grueling. You know, I'd come home from work all, you know, filthy and everything. And um, one day my mom says, well, why don't you try like real estate? Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I started going to school at night and became an agent. And then um, it was working towards my broker's license. And um, I was, you know, I had, uh, I was handy because I had uh, worked in construction and I had access to the MLS, but I didn't have capital. And I was taking an investment course to get my broker's license. And the, and the guy teaching it said, how many people in here have credit cards? And we all raise our hand. And he goes, how many people in here buy houses with credit cards? And all the hands <laughs> went down. And I remember going home that night and telling my wife, I go, I think we're going to buy houses with credit cards. <laughs> and she was like, that's not going to affect my ability to go to the mall, is it? And I'm um, right. like, no, that's a different credit card. Don't worry about it. And, <laughs> all good. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> I don't recommend doing this, by the way. So hopefully this doesn't translate yeah. like that. But this was prior to cash advance fees and things like that. And 
what I ended up doing was I would write a credit card check for myself, pay cash for a property, fix it up, uh, move a tenant in, refinance the house, pay back the credit card. And next thing you know, I bought probably 10 or 12 houses like that. And over time, they kept upping my limits. Next thing you know, I had like a half million in credit card access. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I kept, and then I would continue to cash flow and any money I pulled out on the refi was tax free. So I was mm-hmm. building some wealth and some cash flow. And, and then a few years went by. And next thing you know, I had a couple million dollars in equity. And then I, be, I ended wow. up being a lender to other contractors. So, okay. That's kind of how I got into the note business initially was, uh, you know, hard money, private money, uh, lending back and forth to other like-minded folks like myself. Um, you know, we, we became, you know, basically banks for each other using mm-hmm. our lines of credit on our properties and using our re- qualified plans, retirement yeah. accounts. And, things. and I know you do have the, the your book that goes into some detail on, on all this that, as well. Yeah. Um, so, but did you have any kind of real estate mentor at that time or how were you besides before you before you got into the lending space and just you know real estate you know i came through a weird place uh in the beginning because i came in as an agent so and i I, believe it or not i there were years um it was 1990 i was top agent in the company Mm -hmm. uh and there was like 250 agents and like six Mm -hmm. offices you know that kind of thing and um so i did okay it wasn't um but i also Mm -hmm. worked as a con- as a contractor mm-hmm. full time while mm-hmm. I was an agent, which was a little bit crazy because I I had the wrong, um, you know, I didn't understand leverage. I thought if you worked harder, you know, if you worked real hard, you you did good no matter what. So the yeah. more I worked, but you run out of capacity, and sure. I was probably older, forties and fifties before I realized it was all about leverage. And it's funny that you say coach and mentor. It was more in my later years, you know, there were many years I've spent well over a hundred grand on coaching and mentoring, you know, in the hundreds of thousands. Mm-hmm. So most people, you know, it's funny if I speak in a room and I say, how many people in here spend more than a hundred grand on coaching? Not yeah. too many hands go up. Sure. Um, but, you know, it definitely changed the dynamics, especially when it came to leverage, because my one coach was, that was his favorite question was, what's the one thing? Notice he didn't say five things. Mm-hmm. It's the one right. thing that you're going to leverage that'll catapult you in the next six to 12 months in your business life or in your personal life too. And it could even be in, you know, your sports team you're coaching. It could be, mm-hmm. it could be any topic almost, mm-hmm. but there is typically one thing that'll really dramatically, you know, move a needle or 10 X or hundred X something mm-hmm. as opposed to a lot of things. And we all tend to get, you know, caught in all the minutia. Sure. Um, and absolutely. it was a it, it it was a great mentoring and coaching experience from him. And that was a guy named Lewis Schiff who wrote the book. You know, he's wrote several books, but one mm-hmm. was Business Brilliant. And yeah. he was from Birthing a Giants in New York and um very sophisticated group. Uh, I was actually a very small fish in that pond. <laughs> <laughs> so now the leverage specifically in your case was other people's money. Is that what we're referring to that you were able to use well to it can be a yeah i mean it, you know at first you think that you know uh, capital is definitely something we can all utilize sure. or leverage but it can yeah. also be personnel and technology and education sure. and and typically yeah. what will happen is each quarter or each month or something it could be a different thing 
uh, depending where your business is, you know, like, you know how there's like, I say, I like to say there's three pillars to every business, right? There's yeah. capital, there's sources of product, and then there's yeah. scalability. And one of them is always screaming the loudest usually. <laughs> and um, so those answers can shift, you know, in my mind. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, so, and, and I'm not saying you can't leverage a couple things, but usually there's a needle mover that's really going to move the needle, you know, and that's, yeah. It's almost like the book, the one thing. It's it's you know, yeah, great book. It's that kind of concept of um, yeah. There's probably one thing that's really going to be dramatic, you know. Yeah, like the eighty twenty Pareto principle, where you're yeah, focusing on that, the twenty percent. They took that to another level too. They would do the eighty twenty of the eighty twenty, the four percent <laughs> rule. You know, and okay. you're like, okay, <laughs> I got really zero in. I, sure. I think that type of concept, and then the other one that was real big for me was. Focusing on what you do best and um, mm-hmm. getting out of some of the other stuff, and it took me a while because you know you know how like we like to all wear a lot of hats and think yeah. we're important and we right. try to do everything. Um, and one of the things I did in recent years was uh, you know how you take your whether it's your Outlook calendar, your Google calendar, whatever it doesn't really matter. Sure. I kind of took that and then I made like three columns, and I had um, you know what what I really love to do. I would do it almost for free. Gives me joy. You know, I mm-hmm. get great energy from it. You know, I had that category and then I had a category of stuff I can't stand doing. Why am I doing it? And then I had yeah. the, actually the hardest category is the middle, which is stuff that um, you do. You don't mind doing it. You're okay at it. Right. But it really comes down it. to should you be doing it? You know, and, and sure. um, there's How a lot of your time things. worth. Yeah. yeah. And then it's, you know, you'll hear people say, you know, time blocking and goal setting and all that. Right. I don't know. I'm kind of getting to the point where my goal is to not have any goals or the only meeting (laughs) I want to be in is the one with no agenda, you know? So it's, uh, absolutely. It's funny. It's funny how that shifts and what that's really saying. It doesn't mean I don't have goals. It just means, uh, I don't have to have them. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. No, it makes (laughs) a different thing, right? Makes total sense. I, I, had a James Harold Webb was a previous uh, guest and he has a phenomenal story, but we had a call after the podcast and he said a similar thing where, you know, I said, well, should we set another, another appointment for a call? And he said, you know, I don't, I don't like to put things on my calendar these days. (laughs) (laughs) He said, just reach out if you need something, you know, and there was a lot of freedom and, and guess, you know, just, yeah, um, it's like the morning routine, right? Like I was, you know, when I was obviously president and CEO, the, routines were very you know strict regimented systematic all that good stuff and in recent times not that i don't have routines i do but like uh you know sleep's a real big thing for me these days um another one is i have like a almost like a no alarm clock policy (laughs) even though i get up the same time every day which kind of sounds ridiculous but i don't even like an alarm i mean i hated even to catch a plane on airport and yeah. I'm very guarded with time and, and mm-hmm. phone. Like, I haven't had a phone in my office in five years. Like, if you look around, there's no phone. <laughs> That's you can't fantastic. really call me. Right? Yeah. So I just... <laughs> That's great. You can, I love that. Oh, right, I, you, I can. But, but, but you get what I mean. It's like, yes. it's very... Um, and I do have a morning routine, like, you know, same as everybody else probably sure. with, you know, exercise or reading and writing. And, yeah. you know, we all have hobbies. And I'm fortunate I have two... Real, you know, grown adult children, two sons, and I have four grandkids and, you know, three nice. grandsons and a granddaughter. So they're a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, 
No, and I'm sure it could be learning. a hobby in themselves, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. Absolutely. But you're, you're, sounds like the, you know, your morning routine, like, sounds like you do that because you recognize the value of that for your, for your life and for yes. others' lives as well. It's not because you're forced to do it. Um, no, but, and I meditate. I'll do yoga once a week, just stress. Nice. And, you know, I do nice. exercising and all that. And uh, I do some intermittent, you know, I like that. Uh-huh. Um, um, I do like coffee, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I also, you know, it, it is tough. Like, uh, I'm not, a, I'm not yet the one meal a day guy. Yet. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a noble goal. Right. Uh, there's, an, there's always an, another level. Yeah. So there's always another level. talk to us about, you know, cause you mentioned, uh, some adversity already on the, on the, you know, growing up in the relationship side of things. Um, yeah. talk to us about some of the other adversity, maybe financial that you've, that you faced um, either in businesses or or per- on the personal side. Sure, I mean most of the financial. If you really look at true adversity, it was obviously in those younger years because sure, it was absolutely. more. It was more basic, you know. Yeah. Um, you got to take care of food and shelter and things like that. Um, yeah. Later in life, probably the biggest thing was was around the time I was forty two. I had a painting company, and I had that for. Hmm, let me see. A good ten years, and I was—I um, had hurt my back, and I—it it literally put me out of the business. I actually had to sell sell off contracts. I had to do all kinds of stuff, lay off employees at the peak, and I had twelve employees. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I couldn't load trucks anymore. I couldn't physically work. I wasn't allowed to lift anything over twenty-five pounds. You know, thank God I had the ability to use my education in my brain, brain. And real estate <laughs> background because uh, and at the time I had um I guess I had around 20 properties at, at one point I had gotten up to like 40 of my own places. Mm-hmm. And um you know if it wasn't for that I would have been in a real predicament. But you could I couldn't um you know do the physical work I used to do and it, mm-hmm. it definitely you know I shifted into real estate obviously but um you know life had to change and um so it, it, I was, I was fortunate at the same time I was having problems with my back, mm-hmm. um, you know, cause I would get hurt and I'd be out for days. And, I, and the, mm-hmm. what the lesson there was the business revolved around me. Mm-hmm. And then I realized if I ever have a business again, it's not going to revolve around me. And that's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, when you see PPR, for example, yeah. you know, there's a lot of team behind me, you know, there's right. uh, a lot of folks, sure. partners, so- Sunworks here, there's, you know. Yeah, no, and and it, I mean it's also impossible to scale if it's if you're the yes. you know the only the key uh, cog in the wheel. But so, what did you do tactically at that point then? Um, to when you, I guess when you started your next business, how did you approach that to make sure you you weren't yeah. the key key player, if well, you will? Well, in the beginning, um, I well, I was uh, an agent, and what I did was. Um, well, I was living off my properties. Obviously, I could do that, and then uh-huh. I, um, but I started doing multiple streams of income at first. So I uh-huh. had a title business. I used to, you know, run mortgages through my wife. Even I did property management, and then I focused on investors. So if you were an investor of mine, you might buy five or ten houses, mm-hmm. and then you know we would do multiple things for you. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. would get paid uh, multiple times, not just the commission to sell you a property. And then I would sure. also be a leasing agent. And then I'd also, you know, so I had this like uh, kind of a yeah. snowball effect. Yeah. Um, Vertic- vertically and I did that for a while until yeah. the crash. And then that's when I entered, yeah, that's when okay. we started PPR and 
we were like, uh, after the market crashed in 07, 08, we were like, all right, what's, what side of the fence do we want to be on? It's going to be ugly for a while. And it really was ugly for realtors for a while. Sure. Um, so we were like, you know, my partner, John, was a mortgage originator. He was actually an investor-friendly lender. And I was an investor-friendly agent. And, you know, there was just no... I went from at Remax at the time, I was probably doing 75, 80 sales a year easy. Um, I dropped probably to seven. <laughs> you know, so wow. It, it plummeted, you know. So yeah. it was a good thing that I did go into distressed debt. Um, now, from another financial adversity, though, was one of the uh, parties that was initially teaching us the collection side of the business ripped us off uh, to the tune of several million dollars. And it took a long period of time to go to court. Actually, we got it back. But it was the lost use of the capital that was very painful. And sure. it almost put us out of business. Mm. So the um, opportunity cost of, of not having that capital. Yeah, that not time. having the capital was... Uh, luckily, we had the skills to continue to raise capital and uh, and figure it out our, you know, other ways. But basically, you know, when someone does that to you, it can, mm-hmm. it, you know, they literally try to put, put us out of business. So... Uh, um, and it's almost like the bad builder concept. You know how a builder has 25 or 30 subcontractors and their models to pay no one. And then maybe <laughs> one or two contractors will sue. They'll settle with one. And even uh-huh. if they lost the case to the one, they didn't pay the other 25. So it's still profitable, even though it's they very profitable it, to them. It's like a business thing, even though it's very unethical. Right. right. I don't know how I don't know how people sleep at night. Um, well, they're out so, there. <laughs> So tell me, you don't have to go into specifics, of course, but talk a little bit more about that as far as um, what was the relationship with this person again? And and mainly for the it, listeners. It was, so they, they yeah, it was someone that was selling us assets and they were, um, mm-hmm. you know, helping us collect on the assets, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. And we had uh, put up some money to obtain assets and then never mm-hmm. got the assets, right? And they ran on money and it's, it's like, and yeah. then you heard a song and dance and all that stuff for a long period of time. And then it was like, sue me. And then suits take yeah. years. And and then, sure. you know, eventually we got it. And and yes, we got a little bit of interest, but the little bit of interest did not yeah, you know, solve what you for the impact made. it made. Right. Yeah, it was, it, not was only, it was pretty devastating, actually. Sure. The opportunity cost of the money, but also your time and energy. That's a lot of energy focusing on the legal, the chasing, the, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with investors, so, the whole nine yards, right? Do you have any lessons learned there that the listener could take away as far as, you know? I mean, yes and no. I mean, you're always, well, yeah, don't wait, right? It's just like if you're evicting a tenant or, Mm -hmm. you know, a homeowner's Mm -hmm. not paying, you know, any of those, the longer you wait, you're just making it worse. And so there's always, you know, speed means a lot. Move quickly, right? Don't wait. There's no point in waiting. Um, I guess the, you know, I don't know that you can become, say, a millionaire without losing some money somewhere, right? Yeah. I've had other cases where I lost, you know, a quarter million or a half million, even on a personal side in investing or something. But I don't, th- I don't think, you know, I don't know what the odds are of someone become, say, a billionaire who yeah. never lost a million dollars or something. I just sure. find it probably unlikely, you know, that that yeah. could even happen because. I'm not saying you want to go out and try to lose money. I don't mean sure. it that way, but I think um, that's part of the learning uh, piece of yeah. it. It's uh, I don't look at it as failure. I think I was just listening to uh, Sarah Blakely was saying something like that when okay. she was a kid that um, 
you know, her father would say, uh, so what do we fail at this week? And he'd high five, oh, right, right. you know, yeah. uh, that yeah. kind of thing. And it's, it's because it's a learning experience. It's really not a failure. Right. So sure. it's back to kind of what we were talking about with the adversity piece where it's like, um, you know, how, how do we respond to what happened? Um, I know my, uh, I see my son one time, sometimes he gets bugged at that. He's like, aren't you worried about this in the news? Or aren't you worried about that in the news? And I'm like, right. No, because no. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's how I respond to what, you know, let me see what happens and then I'll make my move. You know, it's, it's, yeah, I mean to sound that crazy, but it's kind of like that. It's, uh, you know, I can't worry about what might happen. Now, I'm not saying I don't take any precautions. That would be foolish to say that, but, sure. um, I kind of see what shakes out and then, and then I adjust accordingly. No, I think know, it's, I that's a very valuable piece of, of wisdom, honestly. Um, you know, and that's been a common thread among a lot of the guests we've had on the show as far as, you know, not focusing on the big picture, meaning the things I can't control as far as maybe right. you take that information in as far as you might use it in your analysis, but not not overemphasizing that with regard to your stress levels and and yeah. what if this, what if that, what if that, what if this, and and shifting from what if to even if um, has been a, um, a key. Yeah, uh, sure. But I know for me, you know, years ago, I, I'd made a switch and I, I turned off the the news, you know, the cable yeah, news, you know, network news. Yeah. It's like, and I stopped, stopped worrying about all that stuff. And I shifted to, okay, my father was also an agent. He still is technically. My brother was a loan officer. You know, I had title insurance uh, experience. What are the strengths or what are the team members around me that can help, you know, move this thing forward as opposed to, Oh my gosh, like we're, you know, I don't know, the next war or whatever. Yeah, the world's like, caving in. Sure. I mean, they're real problems, but I I can't fix it. So <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't mean um, you don't care, right? It's right, just you right. don't want to get caught up in it. And I, I, I agree with you. I I I'm not a big news person. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. I don't, you know. But here's what's funny. You hear about the stuff anyway, right? So it's kind of uh, <laughs> Right. Yeah. It's gonna it's it gonna find its anyway. way to you yeah. anyhow. It might be yeah. a day later or something, but <laughs> No, but you're right about the point of, you know, you can't, you probably shouldn't get into business if you're not willing to lose, a, you know, lose money, business or investing, because you're going to take your, take your licks if you do enough deals, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know the kind of the way, I mean, think about it. We all, I'm not saying I want to be, you know, not care about the investors or money or anything, sure. but I'd also don't want to live a life of regret either. And it, it yeah. doesn't mean you're going to do things foolishly, but it, I think you have to, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You know, yeah. I don't know that you'll be where I was when I was eight. Right. I doubt it. You know, and, sure. and the other thing is, even if you made your first million or whatever, 10 million, hundred million, you didn't, you're not going to forget that as long as you have your mental capacities, right? You can, you can lose everything tomorrow. You're going to know how to go back and do it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of it's like I don't even worry about that kind of thing, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't worry about money or anything. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, that it really is the even if even if this happens, I can still point to my my strengths. And Just reinvent and, yourself and go back yeah. to whatever. So then, before I get to some uh, some questions I have here, so you mentioned uh, being a real estate agent for a while. You mentioned the painting business. You men- mentioned contracting, um, and then you mentioned the kind of the distressed uh, debt space. Obviously, yeah. that's what PPR is, is known for. Um, and then you've gotten into more kind of commercial real estate more recently and that type of thing. 
have we covered? Have we checked all the boxes as far as the businesses you've you've started? Yeah, I mean, the only the only weird thing about PPR really was it was an accidental business. It wasn't like a heck. It wasn't like there was a business a robust business plan. It wasn't like I bought a mm-hmm. franchise. <laughs> well, no, that's actually like so. Yeah. Talk about that because you know. I think that does hold a lot of entrepreneurs back because they think they need this 10-year, 20-year vision and they don't make take the next step. Well, we actually have a 10-year vision now. Okay, we well, you do now. But, you do but, now. But, but the, uh, <laughs> just to make people feel a little better. <laughs> but in the very beginning, you know, it was, uh, you know, I remember meeting with my partner, John, you know, I think we were at lunch in the area, you know. It was almost like the back of a, a napkin type idea. Like mm-hmm. he knew I raised money for commercial real estate before PPR. He's like, "Hey, well, you raise money, and I'll work the notes." And um, we actually had a short sale company, um, and the sign on the front of the building was the short sale company. And the short sale company went out of business, and the, <laughs> the notes were like in the back office and okay. in one uh-huh. room, and and that business yeah. kind of took off. And you know, it started out with our own money at first, and. You know, I was an in, really an investor in the beginning. It was hey, it was pretty cool to have cash flow without tenants and things like that, yeah. and it's passive, somewhat passive. Yeah. Um, so that part was intriguing and compelling and all. And then the fact that you could buy something at a discount with a high yield with collateral was kind of appealing, right? So sure. you know, that's kind of what drew us in. Yeah. Yeah, but so you kind of stumbled into it, and then it sounds like probably the market conditions helped. Yeah, you know, to- and and then uh, you know another thing that was adverse in the beginning, we we started in an up market, and it was very scary because the market really crashed and all the equity fell out of your portfolio. So all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, I forget how many million assets we had at the time, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden the equity went away. So you're mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh! If you <laughs> if you had a bank mentality, you'd be like, we're we're, we're done. Screwed. We're toast. Yeah. yeah. And what we found was that's not what happened because equity didn't indicate outcome, and we weren't we weren't in a fire sale situation. So we're working through the assets. Sure. And what we learned was as we bought new assets at better pricing, you know, it, it was funny with the equity assets at the time we were getting out of I don't know, let's say it was nine out of ten when we were buying assets with uh, less equity or negative equity, we were getting mm-hmm. out of call it seven out of 10, right? But we were paying a third for the assets mm, of what sure. we were paying, right? So right. that data, that actually thing that, you know, when the sky was falling or we thought the sky yeah. was falling was a blessing in disguise because we grabbed data that enabled us to go out and buy what no one else wanted to buy, right? It was mm. kind of like a, you know, it reminded yeah. me when we would buy bankruptcy assets, the bank looks at them all as they're all bad and they put them in sure. a bucket we know statistically a third of them are good and it's just which third, you know, it was a very statistical business when we started, we were in junior things when we started, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was kind of interesting how that evolved, but that traumatic event of the market crashing, the equity falling, Oh my gosh, the world's yeah. coming to an end. Right. You guys, the portfolio is worthless. Yeah. It's worthless if you're forced to sell it, but we weren't. And, in fact, and, you and turned... it, there's a lesson in that. Like, Everybody tends to go to the worst case scenario all the time, but that's not always what dictates outcome, right? So sure. Well, and I yeah. know being a... you're, you're seeing that in this market with mark to market on assets, mm-hmm. you know, the mark to market valuations in the in the tank mm-hmm. doesn't really mean anything unless you're selling it today, yeah, you know, at a yeah, fire yeah. sale price, right? So, yeah, people say that with the stock market. Oh, I've lost all this money. It's like, well, no, you actually haven't. It's just that 
the number on the piece of paper right. says you have. Um, so, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've. I'm not saying um, you want to be in that situation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm in the, the NPL space, you know, as well. And if you can buy at a much better price point, you have a lot more options and um, you can even, you know, um, it just gives you a lot more control and a lot more room for profit and a little bit more room for error, if you will. But Well, the um, pricing can adjust and you can adjust your tactics too, right? Mm-hmm. Like in a, um, you know, in an up market where equity's up, you know, Deed and Lou could be popular in a down market mm-hmm. when there's no equity, Deed and Lou's a mm-hmm. bad idea. I mean, so sure. it's... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If you don't, if you don't adjust, then yeah, you know it's almost like shame, I don't want to say shame on you, but it's kind of like <laughs> yeah, you need to um, adjust. Yeah. You know? So, when you looking back, I mean, did you as far as your business approach, um, your approach to all these businesses, at what point did you say, okay, I want the, you know, these are all going to be kind of spokes on a wheel. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but did you when you were starting out as an agent, I'm assuming you didn't know you'd have all these different types of related businesses um, or have started them at some point. So was there a point where you said, okay, kind of residential and even commercial real estate is is my focus and I'm going to start a title business and all, or did it kind of just happen as you went along? Well, at first it was like, um, I think I saw Robert Allen speak and it was, he was okay. pitching yeah. a book, Multiple Streams yeah, yeah. Income or something yep. at the time. Yep. I was like, yeah, I can do that. I'm going to have, but what you quickly realize it's not focused then, you know, yeah. and you're, you know, now you're doing a bunch of things. How well are you doing then? And you can only sure. do them as good as you can handle it or something. And then the wheels yeah. start to fall off. So it's, it, I don't know that I would do that again. I'm probably mm-hmm. better off. And you see that today with a lot of real estate teams, you'll see the teams mm-hmm. of real estate people who probably maybe have done better than me even because they might get someone that's an expert in listing versus an expert in selling or mm-hmm. an expert in property management. Sometimes I think it pays to drill down and really get something honed, whatever mm-hmm. that expertise is. I'm not saying I'm not prescriptive sure. or anything. I'm, I'm more like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think you might be better off doing what you do best and mm-hmm. then bring in everyone else. I mean, it's kind of what I've done in this situation yeah. with us bringing in a new CEO. It's a, Someone that came from a much larger, you know, 1.3 trillion under management, yeah, uh, over the last 29 years, who really scaled a company from around 150-ish employees to like 4,000. You know, wow. Um, not saying we want that many people, but you get the sure. idea. Um, am I the best yeah. person to wear all these hats and continue? You know, I've kind of taken it this far, mm-hmm. but in some ways, we're like a 15-year. 15 year old startup when you come into this scale like if you really want to scale this thing maybe mm-hmm. it's better if i get out of the way and just do what i do best which is usually mm-hmm. more on the capital side mm-hmm. than it is trying to be all these other things sure yeah and i do it sounds like over the last few years even before the very recent changes sounds like you ppr had already shifted toward focusing more on uh, raising capital as opposed to managing assets is that true a very safe assessment. I mean, for many years, we were asset managers. We still are in some cases, in some areas, um, but the percentage is shrinking dramatically and a lot is outsourced. But the good news is it's different when you're outsourcing it and you've done it versus I outsourced sure. it out, yeah. you know, outsourced Absolutely. it and I have no idea what I'm doing. 
Yeah. Like a lot of people don't know, like even in multifamily, a lot of people don't know that I raised capital previously for commercial real estate. And they also don't know that I was a contractor in commercial real estate. Right. Right. And that I used to work in multifamily, four to 600 unit people were my customers. I used to do the turnovers. So it's a little different when you go to yeah. look at assets and feasibility of yeah. projects and value add and things like that. New development. I, I was a guy that read blueprints and did estimates. And it, yeah. it's, it, all that stuff that I didn't realize would come in handy later. Kind mm-hmm. of ironic how that works out sometimes that yeah. even my job in fast food, you know, I was a fast food manager, you know, when I was mm-hmm. 18. Um, you don't realize you might go, you know, if I said that to my grandson who's 17, he'd be like, oh, mm-hmm. I don't want to work there. But he doesn't realize <laughs> you still learn systems, processes, checklists, all these things, sure. you know, how to open the store, how to close the books, how to do inventory, how to do this even though you're at a fast food place, right? So right. there's a lot of lessons that you're picking up at these various jobs, you know, whether you're a self-employed contractor or whatever that is, um, that come along the way that uh, yeah. become valuable later, even though they may not appear to be related, you know? Yeah, they're still transferable skills. And, transferable. Um, absolutely. No, that's great. So yeah, that's it's uh, probably pretty tough for these uh, operators to and, and syndicators and different people partnership uh, partners you're working with um, for them to pull the wool over your eyes at this point since you've got <laughs> got a lot of experience in a lot of different areas. So um, that, I mean, that it's still sense. a team sport. In fairness, sure. I'm not trying to act like a know it all or anything. Right. It's um, you know, there's areas that you know maybe I'm not the greatest underwriter or whatever. There's probably people you know better at it than me or. Mm-hmm. Or various parts of the business, right? I'm not an engineer, right? I'm not going to pretend to be one, right? So, right, there's people and people, you know, on teams that are very helpful. Could be on the yeah. legal side, could be, you know. So, it, the thing about commercial is it's definitely a team sport. There's plenty of room for multiple players on the team, you know. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. No, I mean, I, you know, we own some uh, rentals, and I always recommend people, investors, manage their own properties first. If if it's every situation is different. Um, yeah. Of course, but if my property manager is really dropping the ball, I I'm gonna know it. <laughs> um, and you got to jump in anyway, right? So it's like, yeah, yeah. So, but um, I'm gonna fire off a few questions here, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. Oh um, boy! So, what's one thing that people misunderstand about you, Dave? <laughs> misunderstand about me? That's a good one. Jeez, I've never been asked that one. What do they <laughs> misunderstand about me? Oh, maybe um, sometimes I'm being sarcastic, maybe. Okay. They don't so know they, it. They don't pick up. Yeah, I get that one too. Because yeah. I, 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 you know, <laughs> it, I can be a little dry with my delivery. So it's like, hey, I'm going to be sarcastic. That, he, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was a joke. Um, yeah. I can, <laughs> I can they don't know. get my bad jokes all the time. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's good. Um, what's one of your biggest regrets failures i know you don't want to use that term necessarily but you know something that you'd like to do over with it would probably utilizing that leverage idea sooner and younger than i did mm-hmm. um you know i was uh, and then and then trying to be good at a lot of things you know sure. like, i'm never going to be that good at playing the guitar or speaking french or probably even <laughs> golf you know like like so why right. do i too much energy or effort in some of these places or something, Mm -hmm. you know, when I could do something else or sure you get the idea. Yeah. Um, Or do I just focus on what I'm really good at and just go knock it out of the park? You know, there's something to be said for some of that. 
No, I don't mean don't ever try to prove yourself. I don't mean that, but sure. I think there's yeah. a there's some truth to that, you know. Yeah. And that goes hand in hand with the, the leverage because the more yeah, you we focus... waste a lot of time, I think, <laughs> trying to do mediocre crap, right? Yeah, makes sense. Um, if you could have coffee or drink with a, any historical figure, who would you choose? They wow. could still be still be alive today if if you choose. That's a good one. Um Oh, Jesus, maybe. <laughs> That's a good one. I like it. Yeah. I don't know if you drank coffee, but yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe wine. Maybe, maybe uh, wine. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, there's so many historical people. That's a, that's a good question. Um, well, yeah, there's so hard, many. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to beat the, the Jesus answer. <laughs> um, if you were given $10 million tomorrow, not saying you don't already have $10 million, but if you were, somebody wrote a $10, $10 million check just An to An extra you, 10 an extra 10, what would you do with it? You know, it's funny you say that because um, I'm at a point in my life where it's like, you know, I, it's funny. One of the books I just read was The Second Mountain. And, you know, it's oh, I'm, re- I'm reading. I'm literally reading. It's a good book. Right right? And, it's great. And um, I read that this year. I read, I read quite a bit. But um, a lot of it's been around, you know, what's your next? What's, you know, I don't like the word retirement, but it, it's really, you know, what do you want to do next? What? What's more impactful, maybe? Um, how can I do bigger things? And um, if you gave me $10 million, it would not materially impact my life right now. Hmm. Um, so, and I don't mean that in a bad way or yeah. a snotty well, way. Well, I was I, going I mean, to, but but I'm not going to now. So uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. So, I was going to give so, you $10 million. <laughs> So I would probably be looking at, you know, what could I what could I do pretty good with this that would be interesting? Um as opposed to some of the other folks. I mean, I'm sure everybody sees a lot of nonsense on different media channels of jumping in front of, you know, private this and jets mm-hmm. and this and that yachts mm-hmm. and all. That's just not me. Um, sure. I know some people are, that's their thing. That's great. But right. I just, cause I always feel like maybe it's because of where I came from that. I mm-hmm. just feel like, no, nah, I can help a lot of people with some of that, you know? Yeah. So it's just, uh, it's more rewarding for me to give, give than to get in a lot yeah. of cases. I love it. Yeah. Real, real quick, real quick anecdote on, on the uh, second mountain book. Somebody was messaging me a few, few weeks ago and she said, I, I, cause she always asked for book recommendations at the end of the year. And we put out a list of, from our, all of our podcast guests, we said, these are the book recommendations. And so she's messaging me and she says, this book is amazing. I've got to give you so much credit. It was you who recommended this. And I said, <laughs> Confession, um, I haven't read that one. Um, that was actually, it was Mark Podolsky. Well, it's, hard, it's hard to read them all, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. So now I'm reading it because I feel obligated, but it's really good. Yeah, it is um, good. Now, I know you have a book you've already written. Um, what's the name of that book, Dave? Uh, Real Estate Note Investing. Okay, got it. Yeah. Um, if, if you had to write another book this year, what would that be about? You know, it's interesting. Um Obviously, I raise a lot of capital, so that that could be an interesting book. Um, a lot of people want you to write a book on how to work with notes, um, hmm. which is a, you know, that's more of a ops thing or more of a, and I'm sure. not really the ops person either. But yeah, you could do that. Um, and what other books could you give? That, that's a good question. Probably scaling a business or something, you know, that sure. kind of thing. Yeah. Like or right now, I'm like big into the board and the formation of really elevating the company and professionalizing the business and, 
you know, doing a gap analysis on like what board of advisors or board of directors, in my case, uh, can mm-hmm. really elevate the company and really take us to another level. And I think uh, that, you know, that's something I look back on and that I should have done sooner, especially with even if I couldn't afford board of directors, board of advisors sooner. Like, what was I thinking waiting? You know, it's crazy that we wait. You know? So for somebody who's got a company that's a lot smaller than yours, um, yeah. How would they? Is it EOS or what would you recommend as far as? Well, yeah, I mean that's a good place to start. I mean, Mm -hmm. any of those uh, types of outfits where you know there's a you know a dozen CEOs or whatever, uh, they can Mm -hmm. be your board of directors till you can actually get one. Um, But I just think they just don't stop their day to think about uh, Mm -hmm. you know the advisors they could bring in, and even if you can't, you know, you can always uh, do a combination of you know modest compensation versus, you know, sliver of equity or something. Really, mm-hmm. there are board of advisors till there's equity involved. If there's equity, <laughs> regardless of what you call them, mm-hmm. um, well, once there's equity involved, then they're typically a board of directors. And then they, you know, they're really, they have resources and network that you just don't have in areas that mm-hmm. you don't have. And you can really, you know, catapult your business with some real strategic advice with someone that has a vested interest in helping you to do that. So it's like anything. Um, yeah, I strongly recommend that to folks that they probably, I mean, I was guilty of it. I waited and dilly-dallied mm-hmm. and, you know, didn't do it and look back and go, what were you thinking, <laughs> you know? like. Well, it's back to that. It's the leverage piece that you were already talking or about. Or we so. just, uh, yeah, I don't know what it is. We just don't realize that how much that can benefit us, you know, because it right. really only takes a couple of relationships or a couple of uh, resources that could dramatically uptick the business, you know? Mm-hmm. A lot of I see a lot of businesses they get to a, a certain stage and then they get stuck, you know, and mm-hmm. it's like something's gonna get them unstuck, you know. And a lot of yeah. times it is these types of advisors, you know. Well, it does take discipline, mental discipline to stop because you there's always a fire to put out, like you alluded to earlier. It's so yeah, it's sure. just stop and create that space to work on the business. It's easier said than done, but um uh, what's one uh I guess one thing about your Looking back at your career, one thing that um, that you didn't expect, kind of a big surprise in your industry, if you will. Oh, we um, well, Dodd Frank was a big. <laughs> that was a big one. <laughs> um, you know, when we first started in the distressed debt space, it was a little bit of the wild west, so you had a lot of freedom. Sure. Um, and then that regulatory environment really got pretty stifling. Um. What I didn't expect. That's a good question. Well, we also pivoted, right? So uh, I didn't expect COVID. <laughs> that was something yeah. I didn't expect. Um, Almost did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so things like those types of small little black swan events <laughs> like that right. um, can, you know, but, you know, the good news is that, you know, if you have your act together and, you know, you can get through certain things. Um, you know, it's just sure. a testament to the team or the company, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, yeah. The one thing I did learn there is that if we weren't as much as the issue as the government. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't handle the pivot very well. Oh, and right. You can see yeah. that with, uh, well, let's just take courthouse recording, right? I mean, half the yeah. counties aren't even online. Right. So yeah, that's ridiculous. Dis- besides that being a disgrace, that's a structural problem. It's yeah. probably still in effect, like where they're still. Yeah. I think, I'm, you know, in Pennsylvania, there's something like 67 counties or something. There's like 12 online. You know, it's like it's crazy. Really? Like, do you realize the Internet's here? 
you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that and the whole execution of like the PPP yeah. program, but that's, that's a whole, that's separate. a whole other story, right? But, <laughs> but yeah, but what my point was, it wasn't so much that we couldn't get through the, sure. it's just, you didn't have any support from the systems that you had to rely on just mm-hmm. by the nature of the business. So it was almost like, their lack of readiness almost put additional parties. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they put other companies out of business. Sure. Uh, just a few more quick questions here. Yeah, sure. How has your how has financial abundance made your life better? Uh, probably peace of mind. Um, you know, I never really worry about money, um, and mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a case of because I hadn't come from a lot. You know, like mm-hmm. it's. Um, so I never really worry about it. And I always, um, you know, obviously I believe in a higher, higher power and things like that, mm-hmm. but I, um, I do have that kind of mentality where, you know, I'll just figure it out. I know mm-hmm. that things will be okay, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, um, you know, it, it's like Tony Robbins probably said it best. We, um, we don't lack resources. We lack resourcefulness. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I like That's that. Great. I like that. I like that line. Like, you know, it's like the acres of diamonds, they're all right in front of us, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and and I, I believe that with anything as simple as nature, like I like to read, you know, like on a beach on a beach or in the mountains on a deck or, Mm -hmm. you know, like I like to be near nature. I feel close to God or the universe, whatever that is Mm -hmm. for folks. And, um, you know, one of the things is there's no bad nature through or whatever, normally, unless it's a tornado or something. I mean, there's beautiful places, you know, a lot of times you'll see people say, well, this place is more beautiful than this place. I'm like, yeah, maybe today it is. Uh, But, you know, there's, (laughs) there's plenty of beauty in the world. There's plenty of, you know, we don't necessarily have to go 10,000 miles to find something beautiful. It might be right in front of our backyard or something, you know? So it's a, that's my view on that. I mean, it's yeah, weird, it's but <laughs> no, it's not weird. It's great. Beauty's all I mean, around us, right? So, absolutely. Just two more questions here. How sure. how do you like to serve others? Yeah, that's a good question. For a long time, my my oldest son was in recovery, and me and him had owned a um, you know a drug and alcohol recovery center for mm-hmm. eleven years, and and nowadays he still owns one, um, but it's mainly because. I was going off to do other things and things mm-hmm. like that. So that was very mm-hmm. rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we do a lot of charitable stuff, mostly on the homelessness side. I've done mm-hmm. done a lot with Project Home, which is in Philadelphia. So that's been, you know, housing related, maybe just because mm-hmm. of the nature of all the businesses I had were housing related. Sure. And, um, you know, I always like, you know, I always, uh, I, I really believe that the homeless problem we have is, not really being addressed very well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I look in other countries, you know, that don't really have it the way we do, like whether I'm mm-hmm. in the Netherlands or somewhere else, I'm like, you know, why are we so messed up here? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do look to that and uh, there's yeah. a lot of reasons, obviously, but the, um, I just think there can be more work done and, you know, there's some smart people that could put their heads together and, and help try to solve some of it anyway. Sure. That's uh, those are some very important causes, and I like to highlight that since I do believe entrepreneurship is a force for good. And um, you know, we can—you've shown you can you can create wealth in your own in your own life and 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 uh, make a very positive impact for for others. So that's really good. Um, last question: Where uh, where can our listeners find you online? 
Sounds like you, oh. they can't call you. Um, can't call me. No, um, <laughs> I don't mean it that way. That sounds good. <laughs> no, you can reach me at um, pprcapitalmanagement.com, uh, but the management is mgmt.com. Or you can reach me on Bigger Pockets. Um, we have a we also have a distressed mortgages group on LinkedIn. People ask questions periodically, especially on Bigger Pockets. We answer a lot of stuff for basically anything, and we we try to answer them. You know, almost daily, uh, we answer stuff. So, yeah, feel free to reach out. Always there to help other investors. I I do believe that, and I I do like what you said earlier. If you can think of ways to be more impactful in your investing, by all means, right? It's easy to, it's pretty easy if you think about it to go out and you know we have a lot of things. We're we're fortunate. We're in a great place, a great country, things like that. Uh, we have a lot of resources that a lot of other folks in other places don't have. Um, and it's just to be mindful that, you know, we can, you know, we don't always have to do this, uh, take, take, take mentality. We can, uh, you know, there's plenty that we can, uh, do to give back and, and have an impact. I really encourage people to think about doing more impactful investing than just investing. You know? I love it. And it's really gets to the abundance mindset and, um, an abundance approach that you clearly have and that, um, you know, that we're trying to highlight on the show. So um, this has been fantastic, Dave. I really appreciate your time. So thanks. Thanks a lot for joining us. No, my pleasure. Thank you, Jamie. Take care. Absolutely. Yeah. And to our our listener out there, um, thank you for spending your most valuable resources with us. And that is your time. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Thank you for spending your most valuable resource with us, your time. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and fellow podcast listeners. One entrepreneur at a time, we can change the world. See you next time. Hey there, it's Jamie Bateman. Ever felt boxed in by life's challenges? Dive into my new book, From Adversity to Abundance, inspiring stories of mental, physical, and financial transformation. Available now on Amazon. From a former bank robber's redemption to a young entrepreneur's victory over hurdles, these stories are not just inspiration. They're the roadmaps to your transformation. Whether for you or as a powerful gift to friends and family, especially those who might not tune into podcasts, this book is a beacon to a life of abundance. Ignite that inner fire and set your course to the life you've imagined. Purchase yours today on Amazon and light the path for someone you love.